The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Feel it coming in the air. Yeah. And there's screams from everywhere. Yeah. I'm addicted to the thrill. It's a dangerous Sign. love affair. Can't be scared when it goes down. Got a problem, tell me now. Only thing that's on my mind is to go on this town tonight. Welcome to Kwame Rossiter Sports Talk. Kwame is off today. You have Alex Clancy and Deborah Debris of YourClearEdge.com in studio. Deborah, how was your weekend? It was great, man. We're holding mm-hmm. down the fort today. Big yes, time. we are. Call me. I'll be calling in a little bit. Um, but today you have Deborah and myself. Got a lot to talk about. Uh, we have the horrendous occurrences going on at Penn State University with the child sex scandal. Um, we have Clancy's Corner. We have uh, Down and Dirty with Deborah, which is a new segment that I'm really looking forward to. A newer segment. We did it last week. Uh, we'll touch on the NFL from this past weekend and also um, the LSU-Alabama game. Now, uh, I don't really want to start with this, but we have to. Penn State, what is going on over there? I don't know, man. What? This is a crazy, crazy world we live in and a real sad situation. Yeah, I mean, it really puts a lot of things into perspective, all the other sanctions with Ohio State and USC and Miami, into real perspective when it comes to actual lives lives that are being tarnished here. Well, I even uh, heard some conversation this morning about, well, what about the game this weekend, and how is all this going to affect the guys in the field? And it's like, you know, guys in the field are going to be just fine. Yeah, who cares? Yeah, win-lose doesn't matter. They're going to be just fine. It's the guys that were really affected by this over the years that uh, we really need to be focused on is what are we going to do to help them. Absolutely. So Jerry, Jerry Sandusky, a former defensive coordinator at Penn State, has been arrested on charges of allegedly molesting at least eight boys between 1995 and 2008. This has prompted the uh, athletic director to take a leave of absence and the senior vice president to resign of Penn State. There have been a number of reports stating that there were employees of Penn State University that actually witnessed these acts. And some saw Sandusky showering with young boys even, and the actions were reported but never act upon, acted upon. You've got to be kidding me. I'm shocked. I'm sickened, shocked, heartbroken for these boys. I mean, th- this is in the in in the background is what happened to these boys. It's not. It's not. Is Joe Paterno going to stay? It's not. What is Penn State going to do? It's what did the effect have on these kids? And it's, that's not being brought to the forefront, which I think is a problem. The moral question comes into play. What should these people have done? Should they have done more? Joe Paterno knew about it, reported it to the athletic director, and then it was off his hands. He washed his hands of the situation. When does a moral code turn into a human code? When should these people have actually called the cops and not just told their higher up and washed their hands of the situation? I'm I'm disgusted, and I, I'd like to see your take on it. Well, and that's the thing, and I always look at it as you know when you know when we're talking sports, when we're talking business, when we're talking just being human, it always goes back to um, survival. 
and everybody in this case, I think, went back to their survival mode is, what is this going to do for me if I report it? How is it going to hurt the team? How is it going to hurt my position? Am I going to get fired? How are people going to look at me and bury it, bury it, bury it? You know, it goes back to ancient times, if we want to go clear back there, of, you know, wash your hands and maybe it'll go away. And it never really does. And like you say, it's these kids that have to live with it. And mothers right now, of course, they've given these kids numbers, so let's, you know, I understand it. But now they've, you know, taken them to a number. Uh, the, the mothers of number one and number six are talking about how dismayed they are, which I'm sure their feelings are a lot stronger than the word that's being used, yeah. and outraged at the fact that their young boys um, have to live with this. You know, and the problem is, you know, what are they going to do as they grow up? You know, how are they going to now respond in their relationships with other people, be it men or women, because of how they were affected by this incident? Right, and even on top of that, is that now it's in the public eye. So it's difficult enough for people that get molested when they're younger, you know, God forbid, now everybody knows about it. Right. If these names actually come out, which hopefully they don't, hopefully they keep these kids, mm-hmm. these kids witness protection, so to speak. But if it comes out, that's going to that's gonna compound the fact of how much more difficult it's going to be for well, these kids. And there's a strength behind just standing up and saying, you know what, this is what happened to me. I don't like it. And it wasn't my fault, which is what, you know, a lot of things happen when it's a rape or a molestation right, or, you right. know, anything along those lines is the the young person oftentimes is told repeatedly, you know, don't tell anybody. You know, they may be, you know, fed a lot of lines as far as, uh, you know, it's your fault, you know, and those type of things. So it's, mm, I think the individual has to figure out what's best for them, whether they keep it quiet or they stand up and say, you know what, I'm standing my ground. You know, this was you, not me, and uh, be the spokesperson for others. I, I agree, and you can tell by what these, uh, what the administrators at Penn State are saying is they are going back to me first, and I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get fired. Thomas J. Farrell, um, who's an attorney for Schultz, who, who is one of the people involved, told the Associated Press that a state law requiring school officials to report suspected child abuse did not apply to a Penn State administrator. He has said it applied to people who have direct contact with children. What? <laughs> Where? Wh- when did these people become become robots with no feelings? You've got to be kidding me. Well, and this we go back to the you know the there's guidelines and guidelines are good, but there's times when you've got to color outside the lines. You've got to look at you know here's the rules and the regulations. Here's the legal aspects that I've got to cover, but you also have to look at your gut feeling. You know, how am I going to live with myself if I sit here knowing this information and never take it any farther, never even follow up? Yes, I went and told somebody else, and per the guidelines, I did my thing. Wow, wasn't I cool? But at the same time, it's where was the follow-up to see, so what happened with that? You know, when things are graphically explained as to what went on in the shower with this 10-year-old, and you've got multiple uh, incidences, you know, how can anybody just turn their head and say, hmm, sorry, you know, kind of busy over here? Now, do you think, that begs the question, do you think that these people should be responsible as well? Do you think they're accomplices? Do you think that they're, maybe not accomplice per se, but... They knew what happened, and they kept their mouth shut. They covered up. Well, they're part of the formula. Sure. They're part of that formula of cover-up. So what do you think should happen? Well, let's start with Joe Paterno, because Joe Paterno is, you know, a demigod in, in Pennsylvania at Penn State. He's been there forever. He's 83 years old. Let's take, let's take his mental, um, mental state out of it, because, you know, when you get older, things, it's harder to deal with certain things, and I'm taking that out of it, because he, no, 
He, he has no grounds for anything right now. He was here the whole time. He knew. Ex- he apparently knew what was going on. And he or knew he, enough about right, it that he sure. should have done a little more looking around and figuring out what is really going on and pressing it with the authorities to make sure that somebody was looking into it. Right. And right now we're sitting with the past, the, the current, and the future. You know, the past is things are starting to come out, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot more information coming out. We've got the current as to, you know, what's going to go on with, with the current football team, with the guys that are on the field, with the staff, and how many of those people knew about this. And then we've got the future of what does that mean for the school, for the team, for the coaching staff, for anybody, and who wants to put your kid in a situation where this was not only going on, but it was allowed to continue to go on without any type of uh, ramifications. It's. I wish I could feel bad for Joe Paterno, you know, because he, he's won a couple of national championships. He might be the most famous coach, college coach ever with, you know, Bobby Bowden and him and him. I don't feel bad. I, well, I don't think I don't think I don't think that he deserves any sort of con, any sort of condolences right now. Well, and how do you take the scale of good and evil, you know, so to speak, and yeah. say, you know, look at all the great things that he's done, and who knows if you know sport, from an emotion, right? And who knows if some of the things that he did was almost his own way of. Um, whether it's covering it, covering it up or consoling himself in some way for some guilt that he was having, nobody really knows for sure, you know, because we do things um, from our subliminal mind sometimes to make ourselves feel better about something we knew we could have or should have done and didn't. Um, but how do you take that scale and say, well, he did all these good things, so we'll give him a pass on this one thing? Yeah, it'll show how truly uh, weighted sports are in our society. Because he, especially him, this is the best way to to decide how important sports are when it comes to actual moral compasses and when actual real things happen and puts sports into perspective is how it's really not that important when it comes to everything else that, that's going on in the world. Well, and that goes back to the discussions we've had over the past several weeks of the whole athlete. You know, that, and I had a discussion this weekend with one of my golfers. I was at a, an event and... Uh, he said right now, you know, in golfing, things are slowing down because they'll start up their season more next year, so everybody is focused on school. And I said, yeah, that's the thing. It's called student-athlete, mm-hmm. not athlete-student. So when do we look at this whole person, this whole human being, not as a commodity, but as an, an individual person with needs and desires and goals and really prepare them for the world because obviously this is not good preparation for anybody, any place, any time. And now it's how do we clean it up, so to speak. Um, and there is no cleanup when it comes to this. Yeah. And the sickest part, he had, a, he had a foundation for underprivileged kids, and that's where he met some of them. Right. You know, parent, kids that have been taken away from their family or didn't have a family to begin with. Well, it's just like in the in the world of um, animals, you know, you take a wolf or any animal that hunts. They go for the weakest. They go for the sick. That's exactly what he did. He went to where it was easy for him to manipulate. We as human beings want to be a part of something. We want to be in a community. That's why there's gangs. That's why there's teams. Mm-hmm. Now, two ends of the spectrum, but it's the same emotional feeling that brings us into those um uh, communities is we want to be a part of something. We want to feel important. So he went to an organization where these kids really needed that extra guidance and that extra help, and he played on that. Now, how 
incredibly, incredibly sick as that. It's it's really sick. It, I mean, there's nothing really else, the other way to describe it. And uh, the reports are coming out that he was he had access to the team's weight room as of last week. Yeah, like it's not like it's not like they shunned him. He's still not in the forefront so much anymore, but he's still around the Penn State organization. They have a press conference today. In theory, it's supposed to be talked about this weekend's game against Nebraska. Right. However, there's going to be a hundred national TV reporters here at, at that thing, and you think that you think it's not going to be brought up? They didn't want people to talk about it. They don't want questions to be asked about it. I don't know what Joe Paterno is going to do. They well, s- and, and what he can do legally, because that'll be the easy out, too, as I can't talk about it because of legalities and such. And one of the conversations that was going on earlier this morning, too, is as reporters, national reporters coming in, they're going to ask the tough questions. People who have in the community and been a- around Joe Paterno, the possibility of them not feeling comfortable asking him those tough questions come up as well. Sure. So we're going back to that human aspect again. At what point do you say... Screw all of that. Excuse the language, but yeah, screw it. You can say it. Yeah, when do you just say, this matters. This matters so much more than my relationship with that coach. These kids matter, and I'm going to stand up for these kids. I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's going to try and just push off questions, push off questions, and as you said initially, I can't answer that because there's an ongoing investigation, so... Blah, 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 blah. This guy worked for me. I knew about it, but I can't talk about it. Well, and why is uh, Sandusky at home? <sighs> you know, I mean, that's incredible to me that we just, let's just send him home, give him a little tap on the wrist, and we'll figure things out later when it's mm, pretty much out there that this is the type of guy he is. Um, lock him up. Yeah. I agree. And I, and I think that when they start looking at other people, accomplices, quote-unquote, you got to realize that this stuff started in 1998. So it's been 13-some-odd years where this has been going on, on and off, and people knew about it. There have been numerous accounts of people walking in on him in the shower with young boys. Quivers, it makes me quiver to say. Well, yeah, just, yeah. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, a janitor, um, somebody, again, came and told Joe Pa about it, and he told his AD, and then he's like, you know what, i got to... And anybody in that line of individuals that knew something or thought that they might knew something could have gone outside the lines, colored outside the lines, gone out to the police, gone out to somebody, anybody, and started to make an uproar, and nobody really did until now. Right, and then the other thing is, why didn't the kids tell their parents? Why, why hasn't this come out before through through a parental contact as opposed to maybe maybe they told them but they didn't maybe they didn't want them to tell anybody which is uh, be unfathomable, but but oftentimes with these kids and again I don't know specifically what happened but what oftentimes happened in these types of situations is the kids are brainwashed by the person. Um, who is violating them. And they're brainwashed at such a deep level because these are young kids. They're looking for love, appreciation, to belong. Um, They look at the adult as the authority figure. So what the authority figure does is they brainwash them every way they possibly can. And if they're good enough, they're looking at every weakness they can and even threatening them and everything else. You you tell your parent, here's what I'm going to do. Um, and the kids are just scared at such a deep, deep, deep level that they can't say anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's troubling for the whole sports world, for the whole the whole world in general. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I promise when we come back from break, we'll talk about something more upbeat. I promise. I'm telling you, this is Kwame Lasseter to Sports Talk. We'll be back in a couple minutes. <laughs> Thank you. 
flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Play ball! If you're looking to talk baseball, even in the offseason, look no further than the King's Corner. Talking baseball with former World Series champion Jim Lairitz. Jim's known for a rather controversial stance during his show. He's brutally honest and ready to talk with current and former players, owners, and other key figures to bring you baseball from an insider's view. You won't want to miss a single episode. The King's Corner Talking Baseball with Jim Lairitz is heard every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Listen to Sports Talk at the Positive Pub every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Gil Tyree talks to sports newsmakers, playmakers, and story breakers. You, the hardcore, interactive, and novice fan, can join the show via your phone calls and emails. Sample what's good, right, and positive about the world of sports every week. Begin your week in a positive way with Sports Talk from the Positive Pub. Be here every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Welcome back to Kwame Last of the Sports Talk Monk. I like that track. I like that track a lot. Um, welcome back. We're going to talk a little bit about the LSU-Alabama game. Uh, it was dubbed the potential game of the century, uh, which it, did, it wasn't. Uh, maybe for implication-wise it was, but not in the final score. Uh, what it did is it turned out to expose these teams' true faces. You know, they're defensive juggernauts. Um, their offense are suspect at times, especially when pinned against other good defenses. Uh, the, the real story of, of, this, um, of this game is that the Alabama kicker missed four field goals. Uh, the quarterbacks were playing mediocre at best. And unfortunately, usually this is this kind of situation where uh, in, with bad teams, somebody's got to win, and it was just kind of one of those games. The defense is, it was excellent. The defense was excellent for both teams. We knew that coming in. They were the one and fourth ranked uh, uh, defenses in, the, in college football, 9-6. People say that's SEC football. I'm going to rip my hair out if I hear that one more time. Um, did Cam Newton have trouble scoring points last year? Yeah, I, I don't really think so. Um, Deb, talk to me. Okay, so they LSU wins 9-6 in overtime. Again, the Alabama kicker missed four field goals. What goes through the minds of these kids when they have these huge games to play? This really makes them look like 21-year-old kids and not these kids prepping to be in the NFL, prepping for greatness. This stuff makes them, you realize, they wake up in the morning nervous. What if I have to kick the game-winning kick? What if I miss it? What's going to happen? Well, and that's one of the things I work on uh, when I'm working with the uh, punchers, kickers, and snappers, and that is that, you know, they are... Is that Kwame? Yes. Oh, all right, Deb, go (laughs) Okay. So these guys are, you know, when they go out on the field, it's them. You know, everybody's, all the eyes are on them, and... You know, they have such a great technique. We're always, we're always looking at what's their mantra. You know, what's the routine that we can build so that they can be totally relaxed and instinctual when it gets to, po- to the point of making an extra kick. Now, you've got a guy like the um, um, 
LSU, who's now watched Alabama's kicker miss all these goals. That's got to be playing on his mind. He's over on the sidelines. Every time they get to a second and a third down, he's over practicing, warming up in the nets. He's wondering, you know, what's going to happen when I go into the game. We're always looking to make sure that he's confident, that he's calm, and he's fluid. So that when he's kicking, when he's practicing in the net, that he's actually practicing as if he were in the game. So by the time he gets in the game, he's not mechanical. He's not thinking about it anymore, that he's strictly instinctual at that point. Call me. What do you think about the LSU-Bama game? I thought it was a good game. If you talk about the kids and how they prepared and, and, and what they were uh, ready for through the course of the game, well, if I'm getting scholarships coming out of college, I got to know that every game uh, in the SEC could possibly be a big game. I got to be mentally prepared for that. And as a head coach or or athletic director, I got to know that this guy has had no problems in high school. He's a um, He's more mature than a 17, 18-year-old with. So there's going to be a lot of adversity in the games like LSU, Alabama. There's going to be, you got teams like SEC, you got uh, SC, South, South Carolina. You have um, the Auburn situation. But you got you recruit guys that want to come to some of the best colleges and play some of the best football. We recruit these guys because they're mentally prepared to do that. Because a lot of these guys, freshman-wise, are going to be asked to play right away because they're that talented. But would they be able to handle mental aspects of So I, I thought it was a great game. I thought, what was it, six to nine? I thought the game ended just how it was. Uh, you got a, you got a number two powerhouse in Alabama that when they lost that game, they only dropped two spots to number four. Uh, it's just the competitiveness they have in the SEC, uh, that that's why these kids go to that type of school, go to that type of conference, that program, those programs. Because in my opinion, it's, it's, it gets you ready more than anything else for the National Football League. And I know that's their main goal. Leaving high school, one of the goals are go to the best school, get an education, play for a national championship, win a national championship, get a chance to get drafted in the National Football League. Yeah. After watching this game, though, I couldn't help but think, I don't want to see this as a national championship game. With with the quarterbacks lacking, LSU between Jared Lee and uh, Jordan Jefferson, they threw for 91 yards on 17 attempts. 91 yeah, yards in a college football game when scoring usually isn't an issue unless you play like these 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 um in the trenches SEC games why wouldn't you want to see LSU against maybe a Stanford the BCS is definitely now to me in more of a quandary than it was before this game started because why wouldn't you want to see like a Stanford like an Andrew Luck the number 1 overall pick in next year's draft play against this LSU defense see which one really is better their defense or him Oklahoma State, who's, who's point-driven in the Big 12. Why wouldn't you want to see something other than this game that they play every year anyways, almost? I'll tell you, um, I'll tell you it depends on who you are. Let me, let me explain that. If I'm a defensive guy, that was a good game to me. That uh, LSU-Alabama, that was a good game to me. But most people like to see high-scoring football games. And with the Ohio, Oklahoma State, with the Stanford, with the Oregon, you're going to get some high-scoring because those guys have... Um, Skilled guys at every position that possibly when they touch the ball, they can take it to the end zone. So you're going to get that high score. I thought that both defenses, as far as in concerns with uh, Alabama, defenses in LSU, were a lot better than both of their offenses on the field. I, I, I agree with you with the uh, quarterback situation in LSU. I thought it was pitiful. Now you got to keep in mind that these coaches tense up too. They know it's a big game. They know the implications of it as far as the national championships are concerned. Some of them tense up too, but we didn't see a lot of plays 
that we've seen in previous games by these two teams, we just the, the coaches didn't want to turn the ball over. Coaches didn't want to make big mistakes. They took chances when they thought they could. Quarterbacks' offenses were terrible on both sides of the ball, so they didn't capitalize on a lot of big plays. So defensively, and if you're a defensive mind guy or if you're a defensive guy, just a person that just like to watch a battle from that point, from that aspect, then it was a good game. A 6-9 to nine game, we watched the baseball score. Yeah. But then that is the SEC, and that's sometimes those how those how those battles come down. Right, I mean, tight game. I understand. I just think that they score a lot. Oregon and um, Stanford score a lot of points, but if LSU's defense is that good or Alabama's defense is that good, why should it matter? Let's see the uh-huh. best offense against the best defense. These quarterbacks, the reason why they, they don't want to take chances, uh, Les Miles or uh, Nick Saban, is because their their quarterbacks are horrific. The quarterbacks well, yeah, are. Yeah, the offenses are for Alabama. The offense for LSU is terrible. They have a, they have some skilled guys over there, but not enough to make that offense uh, be potent. I think both defense, Alabama's defense and LSU defense, was the best part of the uh, of the game. Was the best part of what was on that field because Alabama's defense can shut down LSU offense because the quarterback situation stinks, and vice versa. LSU defense with uh, with the skilled guys they have in that secondary and the and the two defensive Lyman guys, they can shut down Alabama's offense. You know, Alabama predicated on running the football, having that power back, and they have a good running game, but it was shut down because of, of what LSU had on defense. LSU was shut down because of what Alabama had on defense. Uh, but, yeah, you would like to think that there would be more points put up in a game like that. At the same time, it was the SEC. It was the coaches could have been tensed up also. Yeah, um, because, he, because he knew he had terrible quarterbacks play for both teams. There you go. Now, moving on a little bit um, to a team that has another uh, quarterback controversy in, a, in, in kind of a more different way. Do we have a quarterback controversy in Arizona now, Kwame? He, uh, John, John Skelton has more has the same amount of wins as Kevin Cobb does now. <laughs> 20, no, that's not, that's, not a, that's not a quarterback controversy. I'll tell you why. If Kevin Cobb was 6-1 as a quarterback right now, he still would have a turf toe. At some point, maybe, maybe uh, I mean, you get a turf toe, however, but Kevin Cobb is always going to run because the offensive line situation in Arizona is not as good. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals haven't dra- drafted an offensive lineman since 2007, something they need to take account of, which is, which is kind of confusing, which is surprising, because you have Russ Grimm over there, who was an offensive line guy, Hall of Fame offensive line guy. Why wouldn't you draft some? So he thought he can get more productivity out of a person like that that's from the free agency. Now, it's not a quarterback controversy because Kevin Cobb, a lot of this stuff is not his fault. Now, he's, he's the guy that's under the microscope. He's the one that's being magnified because he's a quarterback. But I still give a lot of, uh, a lot of things that he's doing and not doing to what we had on the offseason. And Kevin Cobb started playing seven games before he came to Arizona. Started four of them, I want to say, while he was four years in, in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So he's still a young veteran. He's still a guy that has so much to learn, and with the playbook that the Arizona Cardinals have, uh, he, there's no way he could have learned in that time. He still has to connect with the with the uh, Fitzgerald. He still has to connect with uh, Early Doucette, Todd Heat. They have no chemistry over there. I think the best part of Arizona's offense is their running game, and Kevin Cobb, uh, you know, from time to time. And the running game takes a lot of pressure off what Kevin Cobb has to do or cannot do. I don't think there's a controversy. Now, I've always liked John Skelton. If they wouldn't have got Kevin Cobb or looked for someone else in the free agency and John Skelton was the guy, I wouldn't have had no problem with that because he played well 
last year. He started four games last year and won two of those games. So I thought coming into the season, his learning curve was a lot better than Cobb's because he's been under that offense for two years. He was uh, undrafted. Well, he was drafted in the fifth round in the Patriot League. Uh, but that's not to say that he can't play football. I thought he had a better grasp of the offense coming in. But what we had last year is a quarterback situation with those three guys, those three clowns. <laughs> they had to make a move to get a Cobb so it looked like they are going in the right direction. I just didn't like them giving up so much to get Kevin Cobb. Kevin Cobb would have been available. It's just that Andy Reid is a smart negotiator. He does the right thing for the Philadelphia Eagles. Cardinals needed a quarterback, so they had to go in that route. Well, I don't think I don't think there would be a to answer your question. Um, I don't think there's a quarterback controversy in Arizona. You have to do a whole lot more, and they won in six. So when it comes down to uh, actual, when it comes down to the numbers that I'm looking at, Patrick Peterson is tied for the lead. Besides Beanie Wells, besides the running back, Patrick Peterson on punt returns has scored as many touchdowns as Larry Fitzgerald. So yeah, that, that that is that is horrible, really. That you meant that stat right there, Fitzgerald. He's been targeted probably six times, maybe catch two or three balls. You didn't sign a Fitzgerald or re-sign him to $120 million to be thrown there too. Now, granted, he's double coverage. But now the those guys got to take pressure off him. They shouldn't have got rid of Steve Breston, who's now had seven catches for 115 yards in the Kansas City Chiefs game last week. Yeah. Should have got rid of that guy because at one point, Steve Breston, Larry Fitzgerald, Antoine Bolden, three 1,000-yard receivers, 1,000 yards or more receivers at the same time in the same year. The Cardinals just have a problem with keeping the right players on that team. You don't let guys go. You, you want guys at some point retire. The oldest veteran there is Adrian Wilson, and I think Adrian at some point will be on his last leg in the next two years. Now, he was hurt last year with an abdominal tear. No one knew about it. His play went down. Now, Quan, we, have, we, have a minute, we have a minute till break. What, what do you think about uh, Patrick Peterson so far? Patrick Peterson playing. I, I think once he up his IQ as a uh, defensive back, I think he's going to be outstanding. He's already, oh, you know from watching him in the LSU previous years before he got to the league, you know he was going to be good as once he touched the ball. This year he has a pick four touchdown. He has a um, he has three punt returns. I think he's a good uh, playmaker. He's definitely a playmaker, and I think um, he's going he's going to only get better as a as a football player. I agree. So I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Skelton. I mean, maybe Cobb will be next week, be back next week. They have the talent here, and that's the that's the problem. Their offensive line is lacking. Granted, they have the pieces, at least on the offensive end, as to where they can make some more noise than they're making now. Two and six. This team is better than two and six. They just need to. Kevin Cobb needs to. He needs to gain a grasp on this team and learn how to close games because they've. I mean, they could definitely be four and four right now and be the second. Be second in the, in the conference. I was going to mention that too. Four and four wouldn't be outreach. You, I agree with you on that. It wouldn't be a, a stretch to say they could be four and four right now. They lost uh, four games in the fourth quarter and by four points or less. So this team can easily. They just got to learn how to close and finish up games, football games. Right. Let me ask Deborah a question. I want to. Hey, uh, Quam, we got to take a break, man. Okay. We got to take a break. Monk, Monk tells me I got to. So we'll be back. We'll, have to take a break. we'll be back on the Kwame Lasseter Sports <laughs> Talk in a minute and a half. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. 
Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice American Network. And let's talk football. What does building a family mean to you? Nobody has experienced the pain and joy of family life in a way that Freddie Scott has. And his experiences in life, in sports, and business can help you create a successful family future. We'll cover many aspects of family building and management with a focus on fatherhood. Men and women want their families to succeed during these tough times. Our show will give you hope for the future and practical tools for a successful family. Tune in to The Freddie Scott Show, tackling the game of life, Mondays at Noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Welcome back to Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. Alex Clancy and Deborah Debris in the studio. We have Kwame Lasseter himself on the line. Before break, we were uh, waiting for Kwame to ask Deborah a question about Penn State. Go ahead, Kwame. Yeah, I know you guys talked about uh, Penn State in the first segment, but I, I wanted to know, uh, Joe Paterno, I think he's 85, maybe 86 in uh, December. Uh, what do you think about him not answering more questions or taking more of a stance on what's going on in Penn State with this uh child situation, this, I don't know what you would call it, molestation or whatever it is they have going on over there, uh, and he not answering questions. Is that more Penn State blocking Joe Paterno because he's 85, may possibly be 86 this year, having more a senile state, or, or what you say, he just, uh, they just try to sweep this under the rug because this was brought out uh, years ago where Joe Paterno knew about it. Why wasn't it handled it then? Well, my guess is, you know, they're going to um, claim legal. You know, we can't say anything because of legal ramifications. Um, well, one of the things that uh, you learn when you're debating something is the less you say, the better. Because the more you say, the more people have uh, can pick up on words and, you know, little nuances. Um, I really feel he needs to make a statement uh, about the fact that, yes, I knew, yes, I wish I would have, um, you know, I made a mistake. Whatever he needs to say that's true and real, because it needs to be true and real. It can't be some BS type of statement. Um, and then he needs to move on. Uh, you know, let somebody come in. I think they're going to need brand new people in a lot of different positions for anybody to trust uh, that staff anymore. Right. I think that's going to hurt a lot of the... Uh People that want to go to Penn State. Penn State's not a bad program at all. I, I visit Penn State in the wintertime. The only reason why I didn't go, one of the reasons why I didn't go there. Yeah. But it's not a bad program at all. But don't you think, that, and I know y'all got Clancy Corners coming up, so let me make, maybe brief this be my last question. The more you know and the less you say, isn't that the bigger the lie you're trying to hold? 
Well, and, well, the pro- out- and the problem is, is this lie goes from way, way, way back. So now he's got, you know, everything that's built up over the years within himself. He's got to be looking at what's this going to do to his legacy? What's it going to do to his family? He's looking at everything, you know, we talked about in the first segment as it goes back to everybody goes into survival mode. Survival mode. How am I going to survive this? And the reality is nobody, uh, I shouldn't say nobody, most people are less than focused on the kids that really need the help right now um, and everybody's looking at how am I going to you know, sweep this as much as possible on the rug, get out of this as clean as possible, hold on to my legacy, money whatever else that might be coming my way and it's a very sad situation Yeah it is unfortunately enough that, that program like that is going to be come down for something that could have been avoided years ago. Well, it's like anything else when, yeah, anything else when there's something negative that comes up. I mean, you mentioned Vic's name. You mentioned, you know, I mean, um, anybody's name that has had something in the past. They may have done a lot of great things, but that one thing will come up in the memory bank as, yeah, but what about? Yeah, that's what he's got now. And, and, and all a lot of people, like, I like the Cardinals, so I'm going to find a lot of good things to say about the Cardinals, even though they two and six could easily be four or four. If I didn't like the Cardinals, I would have everything in the basketball. Now, people love animals and dogs. They don't like Vic because of that situation. Before that, they couldn't get enough of Vic. Absolutely. So, so yeah. they're going to find something bad to say about him. Absolutely. That he's a football player. Forgetting that you know, he made a mistake. He paid for it two years. I, I, I know a lot of guys are going to prison. Well, I know a lot of guys are going to prison. But people go to prison, come out, they forgive them for what they did. It's washed on the table. Absolutely. Vic under the microscope. Well, and that's what happens is it gives people ammunition. Right or wrong, it gives people ammunition. They found a weak spot, and they're going to use it. It's just like an argument in any kind of relationship. you got a weak spot, people will go to it. Go to the underbelly. I think we may have lost Kwame. Um, all right, well, let's jump into Clancy's Corner real quick. I had a little trouble deciding what to talk about because this topic is kind of close to my heart, but uh, here goes. There are many questions that are asked about why the San Diego Chargers aren't performing up to their potential. What is new? Even when Marty Ball was in full effect, having them at 14-0 in 2006 season, guess what they did that year? Uh, they didn't win a playoff game. Since North Turner's taken over the Chargers, granted they've won a couple playoff games, they're 3-3 three and three in the playoffs with Turner at the helm, but haven't won one since 2008. And lest we forget in that year, the Chargers had to win the last four games of the season, while the Broncos had to lose their last four. And peppered in the middle was an onside kick that they had to recover from Kansas City in the second or third game of that streak to come back and win, which they did. It was it was miraculous. They made the playoffs. Um, I could see Nerve Turner that year wiping his brow at the time, saying, "Whew! Thank God that team's good. Otherwise, I'd be out of a job." Having missed the playoffs last year with the nine and seven record, even though they were ranked number one in both team offense and defense, makes me wonder what the hell is wrong with the Chargers? Like, really, what's wrong with them? Is is it upper management? I mean, A.J. Smith has definitely held the position as the most hated man in San Diego at times. What do I think the problem is, though? What have I always thought the problem has been? Norv Eugene Turner. For his parents' choice and his middle name, no. I, I, w- I wish it were that easy. Norv Turner's been the luckiest coach in the NFL over the past five years. He was given a star-studded team in his first year. LT in his prime, albeit the second half of it. Philip Rivers, one of the top ten quarterbacks in the league since 06. Antonio Gates, who took part in revolutionizing the tight end position. Granted, Tony Gonzalez of the Falcons started the trend, but Gates pushed it even further because he didn't even play football in college. On top of all that, they had a punishing defense led by Sean Merriman and big boy Jamal Williams and nose tackle. <laughs> Sorry, just got a little excited reliving how damn good this team was 
with, an, in essence, nothing to show for it. Now to this year. Is Philip Rivers the problem, or is he just having an off year? Is the defense slash special teams the problem? Or truly is the coach keeping this team from reaching greatness? My answer, North Eugene is the problem. There's no glue that allows for cohesion on the field for the Chargers. If a player isn't going to, if a player is not going to be your glue, i.e., Philip Rivers, who is having an off year, it seems, your coach automatically must fill that void. And without a coach that's been able to be believed in, any team will squander. A little fun fact for the day: there's only been two champion, uh, Super Bowl champion coaches that have had a losing record at the time, an overall losing record at the time of winning that Super Bowl. First one was Bill Walsh, of, and the second one was uh, Bill Belichick. Both of these coaches had great talent to work with that year, granted, but they did what coaches do. They won Super Bowls. They didn't say, what if, what if, what if. The bottom line, they're 4-4. Four and four. Tied, for the first, tied for first in the AFC West. They've been in this position before, i.e. every year that North Turner's been the coach, and they've had to come out of the woodworks. We'll see. Phillip Rivers is leading the NFL in turnovers. Deborah, what do you think is lacking. Do you think that the coach is the main problem, or do you think that it's, in essence, the player's responsibility to perform, and the coach can only do so much to, to have them uh, reach that goal? My answer is yes. Yeah, no, 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 subjective yes question. Both. I yes asked you subjective. <laughs> it's yes to both. I mean, everybody is part of the team. I think individually, everybody has to step up. So, when I hear a comment like um, I heard, you know, the owner made a comment that it's a bad year, and you just made it yourself, that it's a bad year for Rivers. Well, i got news for you, dude. You can't have a bad year in football. If you do, you're gone. You know, you can have a bad game, and I would even argue that. You could have a bad play. But at some point, you've got to grab hold of the moment-by-moment that you have to make a change and make that change. Now, that could be the player. You know, if the player knows himself well enough to recognize and realize that I just made a bad play and what am I going to do about it and know how to get out of it, which is the mental and emotional aspect of playing the game, the coach could look at the player and say, dude, you know, we got to have a talk, we got to have it right now and know and understand the player well enough to know what it's going to take to spark that player. And then even the coach, if the coach is going through their own negative BS type stuff, they've got to recognize it in, that sel- in themselves so they can make better plays and better decisions on the field, not when they get back on Monday looking at the game films and picking things apart. Sure. Now let's talk about the Green Bay game that they just played. The score didn't really indicate how... Uh, far away this game was from their grasp and how close it was at certain points. Philip Rivers threw two pick sixes in the first quarter. They were down 21 to 7 before they knew what their name was. Um, Vin- Philip Rivers, the first drive came down, threw a nice touchdown pass to Vincent Jackson. Fourth quarter, they're down 21 with 10, 10 minutes and change to go. And then the Philip Rivers comes out that we've been waiting for. Maybe it was, you know, prevent defense prevents wins. Maybe that had something to do with it with the defensive scheme that Green Bay had. But Philip Rivers was making touch passes that he wasn't able to make this year so far, and he was one play. He, th- he threw a bad pass the last um, the last play of the game, but on those two drives where they scored, they got the onside kick back and they scored again. That was kind of the Philip Rivers that we were kind of that we were kind of waiting to see that came around. And, and it's week nine, I believe, <laughs> and uh, it's um. Well, it, it's week, about time. He, last week he dropped the snap. I mean, there's just you know all sorts of things going on in his world, and again. I'll still go back to it's a player's responsibility, man. This is their freaking job. This is what they're supposed to know how to do, when to do it, how to do it, and then go out there and do it. 
Can they make a mistake? Sure, they can. They're human. But at what point do they grab hold of it and make a change in the moment and become who they know they are as opposed to going backwards into what they've done in the past and then reliving that over and over again? And this is what really upsets me when I look at the mental and emotional aspect of the game. Everybody will spend thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on technique and strength and all those other things. But when it comes to the mental and emotional part, it's, you know, I got some positive thinking. I'll be fine. And they're not. Hey, Kwame, you're back, huh? I think people scared to uh, sit down and talk to somebody because they don't want to feel like they're invulnerable, but they 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 don't realize that they really need that. Yeah, they, they'll go buy these uh, uh, $15,000 for two months trainers and, and go to training programs. Uh, but they won't fix their mindset. Well, and they, I, I think you're right. They not only won't invest the money into it, or some of them won't, and part of that is because what they need the most they won't go after because they don't understand it enough. So if you don't understand it, you're going to shy from it. So right. and and plus the mental and emotional aspect of the game. Too many guys have got this thinking that you got to go back, you got to dig up the past, you got to relive your childhood and all that stuff. And you don't. You go from this point forward. Where are you and where do you want to go and what's it going to take to get you but there? But isn't this isn't this the point where the coach is supposed to be the rock for the team? But this the coach is why doesn't know. The coach hasn't gotten this kind of training either. So right. how is he going to direct somebody the, when he doesn't even know how to direct himself? The coach knows the players better than anybody. He should. You he should know should, his team. I agree. He should know his offense. He should know his defense. He should know every single player on that team backwards and forwards. And they and do the know the techniques. Do. They do know the techniques. They don't know the mental and emotional aspect. Many of them don't. Not all. So some, a lot of guys, let's say you got, uh, if we're talking about the football, National Football League, let's say you got a 53-man roster. It is almost impossible to know the ins and outs of every guy. Absolutely. But as a coach, you, you know somewhat what they're about. But after you, when you leave, most coaches, and as far as players to coaches and coaches to players, they don't care what you're doing outside of the football field, outside of practice, um, but the closer teams that hang out with each other, you'll see those teams winning football games more. You'll see those teams in football games more, whether they win, lose, or draw, but you'll see them in those games at the end of the game as when the clock is ticking down. Exactly, and that's the thing, when they're gutsy, and when the guys are gutsy enough, I mean, they are just animals on the field. When they're gutsy enough... Um, in their personal relationships to share, dude, this is what I need. This is what's going to spark me. And even from player to player, um, let each other know what it's going to take to help them stay in the game. Um, they can get even stronger. And having said that, we got to take a break. We'll be back in about a minute and a half on Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. Down and Dirty with Deborah. flagship station for sports voice america sports spin it with chuck foreman has a spin on so much that's going on it will be hard to fit it all into the promo we'll talk about the weekend games what to look forward to hot topics in the news spin it old school which gives a back in the day approach from chuck a no spin zone where chuck gives an unbiased opinion and lets you do the same chuck will be taking us around town and around the world with news happenings and more it's football news and happenings tune in for spin it with chuck foreman tuesdays at 2 p.m eastern 11 a.m pacific on the voice america sports channel 
Sports have become a big part of everyone's lives today. We all have that team that we live and breathe to follow. We watch hours of football on TV, play Madden sports on our gaming system, and our wives can't seem to tear us from the couch. If this sounds like you, or if you're a football wife who wants a few words, we want to hear from you. Listen for Life, Love, and Sports, featuring your host, Ron Dixon. Ron takes you inside the world of sports and finds out what you, the fan, are talking about today. Listen Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Sports. Your Internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Welcome back to the Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. Alex Clancy here with Deborah Debris of YourClearEdge.com in studio. Check out the website, YourClearEdge.com. There's a lot of great stuff on there. She's a very, very talented woman. We have Kwame Lasseter on the line driving to San Diego, I believe. Uh, he's giving me some age discrimination off the air. I kind of wish everybody would have heard it. Yeah, you, I mean, it's getting better. <laughs> I, I, was, I was thinking that myself. But let me get back. Enough of you. Let's talk about Deborah. Let me get back to what Deborah was talking about. Please. I, I actually, I honestly agree with that. And and I'll briefly get on it and get off it. The guys put so much in their body, so much in getting their bodies in shape. They will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars doing that, but they won't spend fifteen, twenty for their mental aspect. And I know we off this subject. We were talking about some other stuff. But I'm, I'm sitting here thinking while we was off the air, and, and then I was telling, and then. Alex was telling me how old I was. But that, 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 that does make sense. Guys do, I know I was one of those guys that uh, I spent money getting worked out, work out, being in the atmosphere, but most, more so being in the atmosphere with other players that played on other teams and, and different sports. And my mental capacity was how they become the best at their game. So that's why I went to athletes performance for two or three years. And uh, just see, like, uh, Norma Garcia, Palmer, how these guys think and what they think when they're at the top of their game. Um, I know it was, it was a lot of guys there. It was uh, Mayo Ham was there. I want. What do you think to become the best and compete in soccer and compete in a, a, a male dominant sport that she made that she was one of the top at, as far as the females concerned. So I know a lot. There's different ways for as far as the mental. I don't want to keep rambling on, but there's different ways of the mental. But I think a lot of guys go and think that's the the final straw as far as this is all I need to be around other people from other places. Well, and one of the things, I mean, that kind of leads right into what I wanted to say with the Down and Dirty uh, with Deborah segment is, you know, at what point do you even throw in the towel? And when I'm talking about throwing in the towel, I'm looking at physically, mentally, and emotionally, you know, as an athlete, um, if you can understand the fact that what you believe affects your performance and then how you perform, you know, actually affects you know, the outcome of the game. So the, the, when we go back to the root of that, because so oftentimes we talk about symptoms instead of the root, when you go back to the root of that, it's what are you believing? And one of the things that people need to understand is that, you know, beliefs are not always true. And no matter what you believe, it is going to affect the outcome. And beliefs are really, really sneaky. About 92 to 98% of the time, we're not even aware of what we believe because it's kind of lurking around in the shadows of our mind. And beliefs are extremely powerful. So when I look at um, things like, you know, the Giants, Eli Manning, last 15 seconds, 
he throws a touchdown pass to win. Now, how many other quarterbacks, maybe, maybe not, would have kept that drive and that energy up in order to make that happen? Patrick Peterson of the Cardinals now 90 seconds, you know, in, in 90 seconds into overtime, he does what you're not supposed to do. He grabs the ball and freaking runs, you know, and wins the game. And yet I see other guys when I'm watching, no matter what sport, that you can see them almost physically start to give up, and it's because emotionally they've already given up, and they're not even aware of it. When I was in Indianapolis at the Combine and started watching the guys on closed-circuit TV, even doing the 40-yard dash, and I'm teaching you know my guys how to, how to stay calm and confident and you know do these uh, drills the best way they possibly can, I said I used to watch them run, and before they got to the line, you could see them start to slow down, and because their mind actually was telling them, you're done, because it registered the line, and they thought they were done, so they were slowing down. I told my guys, you run at least you know, 10, 15 yards past the line, that's your finish line, because the mind will register that and keep you going. So I'm yeah, just... I, go ahead. No, I definitely agree with that. Uh, there's a lot of guys. There's probably, probably about five guys that's capable of doing what Eli did against the New England Patriots because they believe it. It's about four other guys to deal with Patrick Peterson did because he believed it. He, he he wanted to win the games. He wanted to take matters in their own hand, but it's something they believed they could do, and I, I agree with that totally. Yeah, because what happens otherwise is we start to build ourselves excuses. You know, I see, watch the guys on the sidelines, because I'm watching the game, but I'm also watching the sidelines a lot, and I see the body language, I see, you know, things being thrown and whatever else, and those things are going to happen, and, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that that's a bad thing, because sometimes you just need to get that frustration out, but you've also got to know how to immediately get back into focus and get your belief back in knowing that you can do it. You know, whatever it is, you can do it, whatever position you're playing. And that's the part that I always like to work on with the guys is how do you get that back quickly so you can get back in the game and do what you know you can do. I don't care what the outside circumstances look like. Yeah, and the funny part about Eli Manning is that he was playing against somebody that was one of those four quarterbacks that Kwame was talking about that could come back and win the game. Tom Brady came down and scored in a minute and a half or two. He scored in two minutes, and Eli Manning came back down in a minute and a half and came back and shoved it right down their throat again. So it's crazy. I mean, Eli Manning has been clutch. He's been clutch. I mean, the, it was the David Tyree catch, yes, but he has maintained that mental, that mental strength even though he's always been ridiculed because he's never going to be as good as Peyton, which is probably something else he's going to have to deal with. Which is another belief, you know, and what, what are you going to buy into? They both have the same amount of Super Bowls. I mean, you can just say right, it like that. Manning, Peyton Manning got uh, one Super Bowl apiece, and he has been clutch, but his defense has let him down as far as guys have been injured. Now, Peyton, uh, Tom Brady has always been that guy, but Tom Brady can't overcome that bad defense they right. have in New England. Right. He can't throw 30 points up every time and expect to, uh, uh, I mean, if you like to put up 30 points, you think that's a win, that's a ball game. If your defense were holding to 17 points, if you're holding 17 points, you're one of the top 10, 12 defenses in the National Football League. But these guys are giving just as many points up as they score. But he is a clutch guy. You knew Tom Brady was going to go down there and put points on the board. You knew that. It just, it, you just felt that. And you can look at his body language, as Deborah talked about, to know that he was going down there with that confidence and do it because he believed he could do it. I think that's always been him since being drafted in the sixth round, I think it was. 
uh, to the Patriots. With no chance of playing, the circumstance worked out. He took it and, run with it and ran with it. And you build that belief before you ever get into the game. That's why I like working with guys in the off season. So all of that is already built into them. So when they get into the game, they've got their plan in place for the mental and emotional aspects. Their playbook is already in place for the mental and emotional aspect, just like it is for the... Um, uh, technical aspects of the game. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to do too that kind of goes along with this is also do um, you know our thoughts and prayers out to the family of Joe Frazier. Um, just from the Kwame Lassiter show, from Kwame, Alex, and myself. I mean, this was a fighter, fi- you know, fighter's fighter. And we talk about somebody believing in themselves. He believed in himself. You know, I mean, you, you talk about the Olympics. He was a gold medal winner. You know, he's the one that um, you know beat Muhammad Ali. Uh, the thriller in Manila where, you know, he, he went down, you know, they actually threw in the towel at that point, his trainer did on him. But, I mean, he was, he was a, a record of 32-4 and 1. I mean, what an amazing, amazing athlete and fighter. Yeah, he was, he was one of, he was a warrior and for lack of a better word, a soldier. I know we got people out there fighting, getting bullets thrown across their heads and stuff. But he was one of those guys that, and he took so much ridicule from guys like Ali. But at the end of the day, they were friends. They were real good friends. It was just more marketing. And Ali was the best of that, uh, marketing and, and publicity and putting on the show, getting take people to come out as far as TV and, and ringside. Ali used to ridicule him so bad that it was almost degrading. But uh, Joe Frazier was one of those guys. They were friends. When Ali needed some help, he went to Joe Frazier. And Joe Frazier, without hesita- hesitation, helped this guy out. That's and right. he was that guy. 30, what did you say, 34 and 4? 34, uh, 4 and 1. He, and 1, yeah. yeah. That, was, that was a boxer. That was a fighter. Because um, there's a lot of guys that box that can't fight. There's a lot of fighters that can't box. But he was, he was all that he needed to be when he was in that ring. Yeah. Uh, we have about 30 seconds left. Kwame, you want to say anything else to the fans out there? No, good show. Uh, you guys sound good. Uh, a pretty good show. Thanks, man. I will see you just, next week. Yeah, it's pretty good. Hey, yeah, I like <laughs> ten o'clock. Uh, yeah. Oh, I love it. Love Perfect. it. All right, yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll be on time. Uh, uh, oh, absolutely. she got here at 9:30. We were both here early. We're waiting on you. <laughs> I, I like your seat, though. I like this seat better. I think I'm gonna take this one. Don't sit in my seat, even when I'm not there. Hey, I'll take a picture of me. I'll take a picture of me in your seat right now. All right, well, having said that, thank you very much for I'm listening. Tell I'm going to tell Harold you got there too early. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm lost. Deborah Debris, Alex Clancy, Kwame on the phone. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in this week. Come back next Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, for another edition of Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network.